Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash Z-U-K. This independent learning activity is funded by CGen Canada. I think we are all excited in the progress we have seen with various new therapeutic agents in the management of HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. This is a very important topic as this area is dynamic and we all work within the Canadian landscape of public funding. This is the CADETH provisional funding algorithm for HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. So as we review this provisional funding algorithm, I would like to bring in one of our guests, Dr. Daniel Rayson, to comment on how he views this algorithm. Danny? Thank you, Stephen. I think the algorithm does afford clinical flexibility. We have to still think of first line, second line, third line within our provinces and depending on access and funding, but we'll also have the flexibility to use clinical judgment to select the right HER2-based therapy for the right patient. So let's look at the evidence supporting the use of these agents in HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. The first to change our pattern of practice in the first-line setting is the landmark Cleopatra study. This is updated overall survival, which has demonstrated a very long, improved median overall survival from 40 months in the control arm to 57.1 months for the addition of dual anti-HER2 antibodies, here being pertuzumab and trastuzumab, on the taxing backbone of docetaxel as first-line treatment in metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer. This has universally been funded across Canada and clearly has cemented our first-line treatment. Subsequently, the study called Emilia then reported out where following first-line HER2-directed therapy, patients were randomized to either the standard of care at that time, capecitabine and lapatinib, versus the antibody drug conjugate trastuzumab amancine, which is known as TDM1. This showed an improvement in overall survival from 25.9 months in the control arm to TDM1 approaching 30 months, hazard ratio 0.75. This is also universally funded in the second-line setting across Canada. What has been new over the last couple of years has been two trials. First is the Destiny Breast 03 trial with trastuzumab deroxycan. Katya, what are your thoughts on the efficacy that we see so it was really interesting, actually, when the Destiny Breast 3 trial result came out because we suddenly saw quite a huge improvement in progression-free survival compared to what was considered standard of care, TDM1. And it's not very often that we see such a marked difference in efficacy compared to standard of care. And we are starting to see a signal for overall survival benefit as well, which is encouraging. So I think it goes without question that TDXD is the second-line regimen of choice. Thank you. And then very importantly has been the HER2 climb study. This took a different approach of adding a potent tyrosine kinase inhibitor to catenib on a backbone of capecitabine and trastuzumab, and the control arm had a placebo with capecitabine and trastuzumab. We saw an improvement in both progression-free and overall survival, and most importantly, overall survival improved from 19.2 months in the control arm to 24.7 months in the tucatino arm with a hazard ratio 0.73. These options all showing improvements in survival should be standard of care treatment options for our patients in the provisional guidelines produced by CADETH. 
you know, I think in general, we've all been pleasantly surprised by having these options potentially available to Canadians. But as you say, this is a funding algorithm, not a treatment algorithm. And there are a couple of holes that I'd like to point out on the top where we have patients who present with potentially de novo metastatic disease or those who've only had adjuvant trastuzumab. We can see after first-line therapy, the options are either TDM1 or hopefully when funded trastuzumab deruxtecan, but the tucatinib option isn't in this algorithm. It's unfortunate because this is really based on a prior CATIS decision of non-funding of pertuzumab in both adjuvant and neoadjuvant setting. And the HER2-CLIMP study mandated prior exposure to both TDM1 and pertuzumab as well as trastuzumab. If we just study the biology and the clinical need, obviously the ducatinib regimen is of relevance even in this patient population. And the second clinical gap, if you look on the bottom, those patients who relapse very quickly after adjuvant TDM1 and then have a very short interval between end of TDM1 and start of second-line therapy, trastuzumab deruxtecan does not seem to be listed as a potential option. And I would argue that for these patients who relapse very quickly, they are probably our patients with most refractory disease, and trastuzumab deruxtecan appears to have very significant activity in this setting. It's interesting. Yes, in the real world, we do have to, in the end, practice depending on what we have access to, right? So that does play a role um, in some of our decision points. I do use first-line trust, tuzumab or tuzumab and etoxane. And the second-line setting, for patients with active brain mats, I would prefer to use tucatinib-based regimen. And for those who have treated stable brain mats or no brain metastases, I would use TDSD. But as mentioned in the CADIT algorithm, we don't have access to TDXD post to catinib if we choose to use it in the second line setting. So to me, that's a gap, particularly those patients with a high burden of disease who otherwise be treated with whole brain radiation. I would really love to have access to tucatinib-based regimen for those patients second line and then still have the opportunity to treat with TDXD. In the HER2-CLIMB trial, a very high proportion of patients had brain metastases, almost 50%. And among them, a high proportion also had active brain metastases, so previously untreated or progressing brain metastases. In that patient population, efficacy of the HER2-CLIMB regimen was also seen, both for PFS and for an overall survival endpoint. There's been some additional exploratory analyses performed looking at an outcome, intracranial progression-free survival, and those patients treated with tucatinib trastuzumab cancitabine had much longer time to CNS progression or death than those patients who had placebo. So to me, these results are showing that the tucatinib-based therapy is not only treating the disease that we can see, but it's also preventing against the development of new brain metastasis. And that's very important for our patients. If we focus on the Destiny Brestle 3 trial, there was the inclusion of patients with stable brain mets. What are your thoughts in terms of the potential benefit of trastuzumab deroxacan specifically in patients with stable brain mets? You know, in Destiny Breast 3, around 20% of them, in fact, had stable treated brain metastases. So I feel very comfortable putting a patient who's had previously treated brain meds on TDXD. But for those patients who have untreated brain metastases, the data is stronger for the use of her 2 climb regimen. I think that one of the key points is that not all patients with HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer to the brain necessarily need radiation. In some cases, we can use a systemic therapy approach, and these decisions can be multidisciplinary in nature. 
Great point. I completely agree. So we do need to balance efficacy with safety. Clearly, overall survival is very important. But what are some of the toxicities that we need to be aware of? So Danny, with trastuzumab, duroxacan, what are your thoughts on terms of rates of interstitial lung disease that we see with this ADC? Obviously, the ILD pneumonitis issue is a really hot topic across Canada. I think the treachery of it is that in the absence of holding or stopping drug in someone who otherwise has very low volume but evolving pneumonitis, patients can get into trouble very quickly. The trials also mandated discontinuation of trastuzumab deruxtecan for anybody with higher than grade one findings on imaging. So as compared to our typical standard of care therapies in the HER2 space, this is going to be a complex issue to manage. Also, as compared to typical single agent or dual HER2 therapy, trastuzumab deruxtecan is associated with potential risk of nausea and vomiting. So there's an aggressive prophylactic regimen that we have to be attuned to as well. For the tucatinib regimen in general, the tolerance has been really quite good. But anytime you add capecitabine, there is the issue of diarrhea and the rates on the active treatment are more higher than the placebo. Yeah, thank you. I think as clinicians, we need to both warn our patients, but also be very vigilant in terms of the symptoms. So to conclude, these four key randomized phase three trials are practice changing for us in the Canadian environment. We recognize that one of them is still under CADETH review, but we are optimistic based on the activity that we see that this should be well embedded within our both funding and our clinical care guidelines. Thank you, Danny and Katya, for joining me today. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.